one thing I learned when I built the business and moved into student housing from business internet was the students were more demanding than any corporate customer I had, including customers that were paying me $5,000 a month for their circuit. And students needed 24 hours a day. Welcome to the Student Housing Insight Podcast, where we are putting you in touch with the people who bring student housing to life. I'm your host, Wesley Dees. I'm also the CEO and founder of Student Housing Insight. That's right. Student Housing Insight is not just a podcast. Rather, SHI is a platform for industry professionals to network, share data, and to just develop best practices for operating student housing facilities. If you want to learn more, go check us out at studenthousinginsight.com. Again, that's studenthousinginsight.com. We also produce the industry's monthly webinar that's focused on student housing operations. It's called Shop Talk. And it's not just led by me. It's led by a committee of C-suite and executive level industry veterans. So the content is always timely and relevant to what's going on in the industry. You can register to receive notifications for those monthly webinars, and you can also review past webinars at the website, which is shoptalk.info. Again, that's shoptalk.info. Well, today we've got another special behind the biz interviews, and this one is with Dan Myers. He's the founder and CEO of Dojo Networks. If you've never heard of Dojo Networks, they are a leading provider of high-speed internet, managed Wi-Fi, and network security services to the student housing industry. Their services are, are designed to meet the unique needs of student housing communities. And if you've been in the management of student housing for more than a week, <laughs> you know how demanding those unique needs for internet at student housing communities are. But Dojo is all about providing reliable and secure internet access to those residents. There's really been a focus with them on innovation and I've got to say just exceptional customer service. Dojo Networks has never lost a service contract that wasn't renewed. If you become a customer, you tend to just stick with Dojo Networks. That's really impressive for them to be able to say and so with that being said, let's go ahead and get into the interview with Dan Myers of Dojo Networks. Well, Dan, welcome to the podcast. Hey, Wes. Thanks for having me. Thanks for inviting me. So I've seen the name Dojo around for, I think, just about my entire career. But you've kind of been around student housing for probably longer than I have. I don't know. I mean, so I was a student and I lived in student housing way back before the Internet. So uh, there's that. But, yeah, we've been providing Internet student housing for over 20 years now. So 2002 is when we started providing Internet to first apartment buildings in uh, State College, Penn State University. For those out there in the audience that don't know anything about Dojo Networks, Give us just kind of that 90 second elevator pitch or whatever, as far as what it is that you guys provide to the student housing industry. Sure, sure. Happy to do that. So, I mean, we started as a dial up ISP back in 1996, you know, that internet experience and 
making sure that things were working for people. And obviously lots of things weren't working back then because people had like old computers that weren't meant to dial up and so on and so forth. Then we started trying to figure out how could we offer broadband as this dial-up ISP because we couldn't use the cable lines, we couldn't use the phone lines, so we needed to find an alternate path. So we started working with wireless and testing wireless technology to beam bandwidth around pre-Wi-Fi. It used the same 2.4 spectrum, but we were using it to go rooftop to rooftop. And we had businesses that wanted internet that we had been working with, and they said, well, we want faster. So we found out a way and engineered a way that we could deliver and replace T1 lines using wireless technology. And that was what we were doing. And we were building that pretty rapidly. When T1 was the thing. What's a T, you know, T1? 1.5 megabits. That was blazing fast, right? And some people had fractional T1s that were even less, but they were still considered blazing fast back then. So, and geez, when I got into the business, there were some companies who I won't name that were using T1s to serve some student housing. That was the bandwidth that they were bringing to, to some apartment buildings. So we were exclusively serving businesses. But as I looked around town, I'm like, man, there's all these big apartment buildings and students are going to need internet. There wasn't really a lot of options for them at that point that cable companies really weren't doing much. So we started serving them with ethernet to the unit. And then I bought a company in 2004 that was using phone lines. And I know there's a new company out there that's trying to do this. And Starry tried to do it and didn't work out so well because it's just death by a thousand cuts. But at the time, we were taking internet to these buildings using microwave and we were serving them using the phone lines, the existing phone lines to put a modem and a, you know, a router in their apartments. So we were doing some competitive sell. I don't know, we got up to about 100 buildings where we were doing competitive sell. And my goal was to turn them all into bulk. And slowly but surely, something that I thought was going to take about two or three years, the owners were going to see the light of day and say, geez, we should be offering this to our students. This is a great thing. Right. It took 17 years. <laughs> so after 17 years, I got 100% of them. They've all converted to bulk and they're now all managed Wi-Fi. So, you know, a little bit of time, a little bit of stick to But we learned a lot. We learned what struggles the students had. We had learned what struggles the owners and the operators had. And it was really about building a system that made things as frictionless as possible. Because, right, you have in a, in a market like Penn State, everybody moves in within two days. You've got to have everybody online. And we figured out when you're we doing competitive sell how to turn on you know, thousands of students over those two days. But when we started deploying managed Wi-Fi, and when we started deploying in the buildings where I was doing this over the phone line service, I said, well, when you sign a contract with me, I'm going to come rewire your building. Yeah. So I'd come in and rewire the building you know, with Cat6 uh, or Cat6A so that we knew that we had a long path. And then we delivered fiber to the buildings. And then there were no outages, right? So no outages. We put managed GPS everywhere. So we figured out how to make the system super, super stable. And then we started integrating with the property management software to make it so that it was just touch free for the operators. They had a resident move in, they just put them in their system. It integrated with our system. The resident got credentials, you know, an email two weeks before they got there. Hey, here's how you get on the internet. Here's who you contact for support. And then 24 hours before they move in, they get a text message and says, hey, welcome to your apartment tomorrow. Here's your credentials to hop on the network. So now all of a sudden, I don't need text running around building. Yeah. You know, the resident shows up, the network's there, the network's working great. We're monitoring it. We know everything is the health of everything. And so it's great. And so we've been able to then scale that from 
the one market of State College to we're in 24 states today. And you know, we're adding 100 properties a year. So that's kind of the evolution, as it were. The origin story kind of brings us up to date. What, as far as what you guys are deploying today, what does that typically look like in a student housing community? Yeah, I mean, so you're delivering fiber to the property. In most cases, you want to bring in a primary and a secondary provider because you just don't want to have outages. Not everybody can afford that increase in price, and they just have to be aware of the caveat. But so you're bringing fiber to the property. In most cases, you're bringing at least a 10 gigabit circuit, sometimes more, sometimes 20, sometimes 100, depending on the size of the property. And we're deploying typically gigabit, although we can also deploy multi-gigabit. Again, it's a price you know, are you ready for the price to jump into multi-gigabit or you to build the wiring structures that you can support it and you replace the electronics down the road? So for the most case, we're seeing in student housing, most people are deploying gigabit, not because the students need it, but it's really a marketing thing, right? Oh, I've got gigabit. Because on 100 megabits, you can do four 4K video streams. As long as you've got a good solid 100 megabits, but again, you know, gigabit is the thing. So... They'll pay a little bit extra to offer gigabit. We're deploying Wi-Fi 6 today. Most people are jumping over 60 and waiting for 7. So when Wi-Fi 7 comes out, we'll jump to Wi-Fi 7, which will be soon. I don't even think I've heard anybody talking about Wi-Fi 7 yet. Is that like a next year thing or what is that? It's probably in two years. Right now, the price of the Wi-Fi 7 gear is that so much more or going to be so much more than Wi-Fi 6 because the manufacturers have just deployed Wi-Fi 6. And some of them, like I said, have skipped 6E just because the benefits compared to Wi-Fi 7 just aren't there. And they had just rolled out 6 two years ago, right? So so walk the, um, walk the audience a little bit through kind of two different scenarios. One because uh, we've got a lot of developers that, that listen to it. And so a lot of them are used to, you know, bringing during that pre-development process, kind of bringing you guys into this. But uh, talk really quick about new developments. When is kind of the ideal time to bring, you know, a group like yourself in? And then for those that, you know, they've got an older property, maybe they're looking at throwing in some capital to speed things up. What does that process look like? So if you'll start with the development first. that, that would Yeah, be- I mean, you want to bring us in as early as possible. I mean, 12 to 24 months before occupancy. So we can look at the plans, make any suggestions or input. I mean, you can take fiber to the unit, but there's pros and cons. In most cases, the way we build is we're taking fiber to the property. We're taking fiber to all the data closets. And we're taking CAT6A into the unit and not fiber into the unit, having a pathway to potentially replace it with fiber down the road. Because fiber doesn't necessarily make sense in the unit because if you have power outages, the internet goes out, right? Because you're powering the access point from the unit instead of powering the access point over the ethernet from the data closets. So how we like to build from a stability standpoint is beyond generator power, if there's a generator, have battery backup in every data closet, power the APs from the data closet. So then if there's brownouts or power and just things like that, internet keeps working. Their phones are going to keep working for, you know, 12 to 24 hours. So for Wi-Fi calling, emergency access, all those kinds of things, you want to build the most stable network that you can. Right, right. So that's the wired part. How about the wireless part? Is there, for a new development today, is there something specific you would recommend to folks? 
again, every building is different and every building is unique. So there's always unique challenges. So you want to take a look at those and you want to share. And we like to share with the owner, here's the pros and cons, here's the decision points, and here's the leverage you can make because some of them have costs, some of them have trade-offs and you can guide them. And we like to, you know, here's our guidance. We also like to set up our proposals and our offers so they're sustainable, right? With Ruckus, which is our preferred manufacturer of hardware, and they're kind of the leading hardware manufacturer. Yeah, they had some supply chain issues during COVID, but they're still leading the industry in the apartment space and what the capabilities are around Ruckus. But there's a licensing fee, right? And so some operators will put it in, and when I say operators, I'm talking about MSPs or ISPs, will put that in the CapEx. So it gives you a five-year license, but then at year six, someone's got to come up with that licensing fee again. So I like to structure it where I don't put it in my CapEx and I put it in the OpEx, which maybe pushes up our monthly rate a little bit. But then, you know, if you roll into year six or year seven, you've cut, you know, it's just there, it's built in. Well, before you move off of that, let me ask you, because most developers that I've worked with, if they could put something, you know, for example, garbage containers, or I should say compactors, you know, it's kind of that same choice. You can either take kind of a higher OpEx on a monthly standpoint, or you can pay 25 grand to buy it. Mm-hmm. From their standpoint, they're looking at it from a, okay, well, if that lowers, because basically every dollar of NOI is going to be somewhere between 14 to $18 of value. Right. And right. So from that standpoint, it kind of makes a lot of sense to go ahead and buy that. Is it the same way with that licensing fee or is that? So that light, that licensing fee, you're going to have to keep buying it. The other thing is at some point you're going to have to refresh the equipment. Is that at five years? Is it six years? Is it seven years? So I like to build into my operating, at least when I build the model. So I'll build that into the operating cost enough of a budget that if they decide that you're in their five year agreement and they say, Hey, yeah, we're really happy with everything. You know, we'd like to sign a five year extension. I like to build my model so that if they sign that extension, they don't have to come up with CapEx again. Yeah. Right. So I've I've got it built that way so that it's just sustainable over time, building a sustainable model instead of a, Hey, I'm going to make all my money in this contract. And then, you know, whatever happens, happens. This is not how I look at it. Um, And in 20 years, we've never turned out an operator. So anybody that we have started working with in the last 20 years, we're still working with them and we've kept them up to date on the technology as the technology has evolved. So I'm looking at it really big picture. And then when I have that model, like you said, hey, we're going to put more in the CapEx or we're going to put more in the OpEx. That's fine. You want to buy down your rate. You want to do these different things. That's a math problem for us. Gotcha. But I build the model right so that it's sustainable for the long term. Yeah. Then dividing it up and say, hey, we want more of it. We want to pay it up front now. And this is how it's going to play out operationally or we want to pay less now or zero now, and we want to spread all that capex because everybody's different as to what their financial situation is. You know, a brownfield, an existing operator may say, I can't come up with, you know, $1,000 a unit or $500 a unit and say, okay, well, let's figure out how to finance that out over your first term. And then you're going to roll in at the lower rate on renewals and things like that. Um, So again, it's working within what your needs are as an operator from a financial standpoint and what it is you're looking to deliver. Do you now need, you know, outdoor Wi-Fi in your common areas, parking lots, where everybody's got their smart cars and things like that that need access and elevators is some, you know, consideration. So where all do you want coverage, just in unit or 
all over the place. And as you know, the networks we build, you hop on your own private secured network, but you can go anywhere on property. You can roam anywhere on property. So it's really elegant. Yeah. Yeah. That's a really nice feature, even as from a standpoint with a, you know, regional managers and things like that, that are going from kind of property to property, Mm -hmm. having that ability in that office network that I can immediately get onto, no matter what property I'm at, if it's with Dojo, I'm able to be able to log in. Exactly. Yep. You go to any property and just immediately hop on the network, not have to get, uh, what's my password here and, and whatnot. Yeah. 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 That's fantastic. So going over to the other side of it, you know, where we're trying to possibly upgrade something. What's that process like these days? Cause you know, back when I was on the development side, talking about early two thousands and up until I guess about 2011 or so, it was very much, you're building out the infrastructure. Typically there wasn't Wi-Fi involved at that point in time. You know, that infrastructure was typically fiber under the ground. There was some type of conduit throughout the property if it was a garden style or, or whatever. When you're upgrading something that was built during that time frame, is it pretty easy at this point? Or are you finding yourself with, or I should say, you know, would a, an owner today find themselves needing to consider some, some more infrastructure upgrades and, and not just changing out telecom equipment? Every situation and every property is unique, right? I mean, we've done lots of rescue programs. We've probably rescued over 10,000 units where we've come in. Either there was another operator that was just falling down or it was a cable operator that they wanted to move into something that was more managed where they could make the NOI or had more control over their resident experience or a better resident experience. Some places there is good enough infrastructure. You need to do a site survey, right? You need to come take a look at what's there. In some cases, there was an early... You know, they took an early shot and they put access points down hallway or something that we know hasn't worked for the last 15 years. And so they don't have enough coverage and everybody needs a a wired port today to be able to, especially in student housing, right? Video gaming is the most important thing while they're at school, right? It's more important than grades and everything is that they don't, their character doesn't get killed while they're gaming. And that's all about having a wired port and not being over Wi-Fi. Although Wi-Fi 7 may go a long way to fix that once the video games support that because it's a latency issue. So video gamers need to be plugged in. And so student housing, having an Ethernet port in your bedroom tends to be important. But having good Wi-Fi coverage, having working Wi-Fi coverage, having Internet doesn't go out. And then also having the, you know, the one thing I learned when I built the business and moved into student housing from business Internet was... The students were more demanding than any corporate customer I had, including customers that were paying me $5,000 a month for their circuit. And students need it 24 hours a day. They come home from the bars at three o'clock in the morning. And if they're having any problems, they need help. And we as a business need to be there to help them. So part of it was figuring out how I take these accounts where we're making $20 a month, maybe, or charging $20 a month, including bandwidth, compared to account I was charging thousands of dollars a month for and deliver the same level or a better level of support and service. And that was what we evolved Dojo into. It was like, how do we figure out and solve this problem? Yeah. And we built a software stack around it, which we have a really unique, I think we've talked to you about it. Yeah. You know, we have a really unique software stack in our Elemento uh, platform that's unlike anything in the industry and allows us to deliver 
on those KPIs. But jumping back to your, to your question a little bit, each property is unique. Do they have pathways? That, are they garden style on their multiple buildings? Do we have to do underground? We just did a project uh, in Oklahoma where we brought on 3,000 apartments in these 147 buildings, 13 properties, and there was no infrastructure, none, zero. No ethernet, no pathways to buildings. So we had to do, we did underground, you know, trenching, boring, outdoor data cabinets because they're garden style with no cabinets. So we put outdoor cabinets with HVAC, so with cooling and heating and um, environmental monitoring at every one of those buildings with ethernet into every one of those buildings. And then you have a super solid network and infrastructure, you know, that's going to last you the next 20, 25 years. So you can continue to uh, maintain and support those customers at a very high level. Gotcha. And if someone's listening, you know, right now and, and says, well, that you just described my property. That's what, uh, that's what I need. Kind of walk through what's the process or, or I should say more what I'm interested in is kind of what is the timeline for something like that? Because obviously you want to be able to advertise it for new move-ins and things like mm-hmm. that. There's someone out there listening saying, okay, we've got to put some money into this thing and, and update it. What is kind of the the timeline when you're looking at having to trench? And I'm sure with that, you've got to get maybe building permits or. Yeah. You need permits. You're doing electrical wiring. You need materials that, you know, you need to order. And if there are supply chain issues and, you know, we're still coming out of the, you know, post COVID hangover where there's still some supply chain issues out there. So you're going to need to coordinate all the material and, and whatnot and labor. That project, it was signed in December and we just finished August one. Okay. That was really, really fast. That was 3000 units. It was about 12,000 beds. So yeah, I mean, it was a pretty big project. Um, typically, I recommend you know at least twelve months signing a contract. Twelve months uh, prior to wanting to go live doesn't always work out that way. Yeah. And if you have some existing infrastructure, for example, we just did a rescue takeover in Port St. Lucie, Florida. It's about a hundred units, two buildings, but they are already wired pretty much for Ethernet. I think we found about a thirty percent failure rate on the Ethernet that they had that we had to repull. They had a really short timeline, but they actually already had bandwidth. So they already had a circuit to the property. We just came and put our infrastructure in, tied it into you know our software stack. And that was a 60-day deployment from the time they signed the agreement to the time we went live. That's atypical. And if I told uh, Joe Drew, my VP of Ops, that we had a project that we were going live in 60 days right now, he'd probably strangle me. <laughs> Well, hey, talking a lot about internet, and you know, I'm sure at some point in time, you've probably delivered video services. Is that something that is still pretty typical in a deployment, or is it not really? Yeah. It's super rare. Even the the bigger companies that we work with that were including TV aren't asking us for it anymore. Yeah, TV and phone died a long time ago in student housing because everybody streams what they want. You know, they're from different locations. They, they want something different. They all need internet. They don't need TV. You know, we have bulk options that start at, you know, $25 a month, but we're almost seeing 0% take rate on TV at this point. Yeah. If there's even a margin there, I'm sure it's so small that... We don't even try and make money on TV. Yeah. It's just not, there's no margin to be made. And again, if your customers don't want it, you don't want to force it down their throat. Yeah. It's just... 
especially on the student housing side. I mean, I, you know, I can't tell you the last time we had cable at my home. And so, you know, I've got four kids at home. One's 17. She's going into her senior year. I don't think we've had a cable package, <laughs> you know, the traditional cable package for at least half of her life. Um, yeah. My kids don't know how to operate a remote. Yeah. Like to, to use, you know, traditional cable. Oh yeah. Yeah. My son, who's, who's seven, there's the big remote and then there's the little remote for the Roku mm-hmm. or the Apple TV or whatever. Yeah. And he knows that there's not a microphone on it. He doesn't want it because he just <laughs> tells <laughs> you know, right. Alexa or Google TV or whatever. He just tells them, Hey, this is what I, you know, I, I want you to search this. So mm-hmm. yeah, it's pretty crazy. Well, I want to jump back to the brownfield a little bit because, yeah, yeah. you know, it's, you know, obviously uh, there are some challenges, but, you know, we work with the owner to coordinate all that. There's coordination because you potentially have people living there, right? So you have to do notifications and things like that to come through and do the work that you need to do. So, you know, it's a little bit more challenging than new construction where there's nobody living there and you can kind of just be in a unit when you need to be in a unit to do what you need to do. Yeah. So let's talk about, you know, a new acquisition. Is Dojo a group that I could call on to, you know, if we, you've got experience with you in the past and we want to, you know, we're looking at a new acquisition and we want to kind of figure out, do we need to add anything? Do we need to budget anything? Is Dojo a company that we can kind of knock doors on and say, hey, we need you guys to come out to this particular property and tell us what we need? Absolutely. I mean, we have a site survey program where, you know, depending on the size of the property, how many doors or how many beds or how many buildings and things like that or you know multiple properties in a market you know or we'll come out and we'll do a site survey put together a whole plan here's what it's going to take to bring this property up to spec so you can deliver what you want to deliver gotcha so are there any other trends on the horizon that you see for for student housing well i mean i, I think you would agree with me i mean i've kind of coined the term that you know, everybody used to call the internet the fourth utility and i say it's the most important utility yeah. because it's touched more than any other utility in the apartment and it's touched 24 hours a day yeah so the trend is stability right i mean you heard me mention about redundant circuits circuits upstream fiber providers can have outages so how do you bring in the best redundancy if you get two fiber providers and they're riding down the same pole and that pole gets taken out by a car. Now it may take out the power in the building too, but if it takes out that fiber, how do you make sure you have redundancy either over some sort of cellular connection or a different path, especially for when you're talking, you know, a 900 unit property or 1800 unit property, a big large scale property, bringing in enough redundancy that things like that, that could be major aren't going to affect and take out the internet. So we really like to build our systems as redundant as possible and as redundant as budgets will allow. So uh, I want to talk a little bit about IoT and a lot of things that I'm seeing with, you know, smart devices, not necessarily the smart speakers and uh, you mm-hmm. know, or consumer type of things that residents may be using, but really from a standpoint of facility management, be it with you know, water detection sensors and mm-hmm. thermostats and things like that. How are you guys approaching that these days? Is that something that's, do you sanction off a, a, a part of the network for that or what, what's kind of the process? So we've that? done some of that and we've partnered with, again, there's a lot of, it's fractured the, the space yeah. all over the place. And there's different providers that have come and gone and 
have their different issues. But we work with, you know, whoever, you know, you would select as a partner mm-hmm. and we don't charge, like there's no fees for professional services. And what I mean by that is whatever you need, we're operating the network for you. So if we need to roll out a separate wireless network or we need to provide some ports for connecting your access control system or carrying your video traffic from your data closets or buildings back to an MDF so you can have an NBR there, we'll carry that traffic segmented, like you said, separated across the network. It's not going to impact your network, but we've already put in the infrastructure. Why put it in twice, right? Yeah. And then from, from the Wi-Fi side, yeah, for thermostats uh, and different devices, leak detection or locks, you're setting up separate either hidden SSIDs or whatever works with the partner that you've chosen to deploy that, we will work hand in hand with them to make sure their technology has the highway to get home, basically. Yeah. And then we give them insight. So with Elemento, we have different views. So we have you know, our view, we have the resident view. So the resident can take a look at it, the property owner can take a look at it, and then any of your vendors have an access so they can see their VLAN and how well, also from an RF standpoint, how all their devices are connected. So if they're having any challenges, they can troubleshoot right through our system to see how their devices are connected to the network. Gotcha. Or groups that are, you know, utilizing that, is it a big strain on the network for using IoT devices or is that pretty? No. I mean, IoT is, is such a small amount of traffic for the things that it does. No, not at all. Gotcha. Okay. Well, hey, besides the services that we've talked about, is there anything else that you guys do that we haven't touched on? No, I mean, I, I appreciate the time. And I, mean, I think you've heard me say it before. I mean, as a business in this space, I mean, there's KPIs that I focus on. The yeah. technology is going to continue to evolve and, and change. It's really about the customer experience mm-hmm. and making sure that it works the way the customer expects it to. And that's going to evolve over time. BitTorrent and file sharing years ago. And, you know, when I first got in the business, it was AIM, you know, AOL Instant Messenger. And as long as that didn't drop, everybody was happy their internet was working great. Yeah. But it comes to these KPIs that when you need support, the support better be there, right? So the things that I focus on, we're, we have a human answering a call within 15 seconds when someone calls in the support desk. Yeah. Our average ticket solved within eight minutes. It's about communicating with the customers, right? So if there's an outage because there's a, a fiber cut, message that out right away. They're getting that you know, text message saying, hey, internet's out, there's a fiber cut, and here's our expected time for repair or whatever. And then you keep them updated. By being communicative, less than a half a percent of our customers actually call in and open a trouble ticket, even though we're there for them 24 hours a day. That's one out of 200 customers where the competitors in the space are 8% to over 100% of their customers are opening a ticket over that 12-month period. So that's really important. You mentioned earlier about the customer service being 24 hours with student housing, you know, which you know wasn't typical. Certainly with your business clients, I'm kind of wondering... Is there a story about something you've come across in student housing that just really kind of shocked you or <laughs> was taught you? Oh, I've, I've, heard, I've heard lots of stories about it. I'm sure, you know, I, I've heard lots of crazy stories, but um, we had an outage uh, at a property, high rise property at 2 a.m. We knocked, woke our engineer up at 2.02 and said, hey, we're seeing an outage on the 17th floor of this building starts looking into it 
and 208 sees the 15th floor go offline. So our system actually shows us if there's any bad weather, if there are any power outages, because these are things that can cause an outage. Mm -hmm. And this is the building's up, it's just these two data closets have now gone offline. Calls the emergency contact at the property to see, are they doing some work on the property overnight that they've taken the you know, power down? Do they have a circuit breaker that maybe has, has tripped? Uh, can't reach them. Try to reach out to our backup contact. Can't reach anybody. So it rolls a truck. Trucks on the way to the property to find out what's going on. As the truck's arriving, we've got a call back from uh, the emergency maintenance supervisor who had just gotten out of the hospital because he had slipped and fallen on a wet floor mm. and banged his head. So what had happened? So a sprinkler on the 17th floor had gone off and flooded the entire 10 stack of apartments the entire way down the building. Ugh. And so it flooded to the, the data closets. What caused the sprinkler to go off? A stray bullet from the street had taken out a sprinkler head. Oh God. But the end result was, and it was also Sunday, so it was 2 a.m. in the morning on Sunday of finals week. In a tall building, you've lost the top two floors, their internet's down their apartment, there is internet in the rest of the building, but with spare equipment, because in our proposals and in every building, we keep spare equipment, not enough to replace the entire system, but we have spare and parts. We were able to jury rig and get the entire building back up online by 1 p.m. in the afternoon. So, I mean, there, there was a bit of an outage, but it was kind of catastrophic. And we shipped spare parts. And that Wednesday overnight, we put the whole building back the way that it was. So it's crazy things will happen. How do you respond? The internet is so important. And, you know, if it was you that didn't have internet, how would you want your service provider responding to make sure that your internet's working? And that's how we've trained our entire team, our entire company to think that, you know, it's not like, well, we'll get to it, we'll get to it. No, their internet's down. What are we doing to solve that issue as rapidly as we can and communicate to them what we're doing? Yeah, gotcha, gotcha. Well, Dan, I appreciate it. It's been fantastic getting to know you this past year as we've been involved with a couple of things. And I've been familiar with your name, you know, for a long period of time. And of course, the Dojo brand. And it's been fantastic seeing you guys grow. And I love Penn State, but I'm glad you've been able to move to Florida. <laughs> it's hot down here, I'll tell you that. Is that pretty much where you guys are based now is in Florida or are you pretty much everywhere? We're based all over the place. Um, so I'm in Florida, you know, Todd's in South Carolina, Joe's in uh, Tennessee. We've got people in Colorado, Texas, gotcha. Michigan, Wisconsin, Pennsylvania. So we still have a, a home office in Pennsylvania, but we're spread out all over. And, you know, we're just adding people. You know, we have lots of contractors that we work with that we've got really tight relationships because we've done so many projects with them. Sure. Um, so we've got people. And in every city that we go into, because we're going into new cities all the time. So we've got really tight relationships with people in every town and city that we're going into. Great. Fantastic. So if someone's listening to this, they want to reach out to you. Obviously, we'll put your contact information and everything in the show notes. But website really quick. Yep. Dojo Networks. So D-O-J-O Networks. N-E-T-W-O-R-K-S dot com. Perfect. Perfect. Well, thanks so much. And we'll talk to you soon. Sounds great. Thanks, Wes. Have a great day.
again, a big thanks to Dan for joining us today. You know, I've been in the industry for close to 27 years now, and I've met all of Dan's competitors. I won't name them, but if you've been in the industry, you know who they are. And managers are always telling me about any bad experience they have with their residence internet service. And my first question to that is always, okay, who's the provider? And um, I've got to tell you, Dojo has never been one of those responses. Never. And that's saying a lot. Not putting down Dan's other competitors. They're fantastic. I've worked with them with just about all of them. (laughs) And they're fantastic. But it's just something about Dojo. I don't know. Maybe it's how they pick their own clients. (laughs) But yeah, I've never, never had anybody say, yeah, we had a really bad experience. And it was Dojo. It's never been that answer. Well, guys, that does it for this episode. If we have brought you any value, please recommend the podcast to your colleagues and also rate us on whatever platform you use to listen to podcasts. If you have any questions for us, you'll find our contact information in the show notes. You'll also find Dan's contact information there as well. If you want to reach out to them for a quote or any kind of question, I'm sure he'll be glad to answer. Well, guys, take care and we'll see you soon.